I recently heard a story from a Presbyterian pastor in Atlanta that I just had to share with you. He tells a story about the most perfect prayer he's ever heard. And he tells it like this, that it came out of the mouth of a six-year-old boy. So you know it's going to be good. His mother, this is the pastor talking, his mother told me about it soon after it happened. They were at a local swimming pool, and her son was standing at the deep end. His edge curled, toes curled over the edge of the diving board. He was still unsure of himself around the water, and he stood there for what seemed like a very long time, hesitating, meditating, heart palpitating. And just when it seemed like he was going to turn around and go back down the stairs, he looked up at the sky, put his hands together, and said, Oh, Lord, give me skills or give me guilt. And then he jumped. <laughs> give me skills or give me gills. That pretty much covers all the bases, right? Give me what I need to overcome what I'm facing. But if you won't do that, then Lord, give me what I need to endure it. Give me skills or give me gills. I think that's a prayer to keep in handy. When we've given our lives over to God and we've committed to following in the way of Jesus and letting the Holy Spirit lead us into open and clear and smooth paths for the rest of our lives, that's when we feel like, no, actually, we've been brought to the edge of the diving board. And there's no other place to go except jump in to something that is going to be over our heads. And so I would follow up with that prayer, another prayer, to ask that then God give me the ability, when I am perhaps already equipped with the skills or the gills, or whatever I need in those moments of being overwhelmed, help me realize You've already prepared me to be in this moment, whatever it might be. Help me realize, oh Lord, you have gifted me for a time such as this. It may not be the work that I want to do, but it is what you want me to do. So help me do my best. And I think this is the place where we find Solomon in our reading from Kings today. In Sunday school, my lessons as a child, I was taught that King Solomon asked God to make him wise instead of rich or famous. And this was to help me learn how to pray for God to help me make good choices, to do the right thing, and not for more allowance money, or to somehow suddenly not need glasses and braces at the same time in junior high, so then I could be one of the popular and cool kids in school. But of course, to me, to this kid, the story also had a takeaway that if I could ask for what God really wanted me to ask for, God would be so happy that I would get all that other stuff too. If I were just able to pray the right prayer first, I'd get these bonus gifts as a reward. But that's not how it works in real life. We know that. 
And it's not how it worked for Solomon either. If we read the larger context, as the book of Kings pretty much demands that we do in order to understand really what this story is trying to tell us. Because the prayer for wisdom was not Solomon asking for an easy life where all of his decisions would come effortlessly. There is a struggle behind this prayer. There's a struggle for identity and authority. Because Solomon was the son of Bathsheba, one of David's many wives, who bore him many sons, all in line and in competition with each other for the one throne. And the beginning of 1 Kings describes this Game of Thrones-like competition for complete rule over Israel. Solomon has a half-brother who's a little bit older than him, who is standing in the way. And so Solomon, his mother, the prophet Nathan, and a few others who were always loyal to King David, conspire together and systematically eliminate the threats to Solomon's taking over the throne. This would fulfill God's words to David that a son through Solomon would establish the line of King David forever and that Solomon would be the one to build God a house, to build that temple that David wanted to build, but God said, no, that's not your job. So Solomon gained the throne, but not without the use of manipulation and violence, just like his father and King Saul before him. And perhaps Solomon was uncomfortable with all of this royal strategery and literal backstabbing. Perhaps he wasn't ready to receive all of this power that came through such bloody means. He knew that he was the son to bear the continued relationship of God's steadfast love with Israel. And so I'm sure the pressure he felt from family and from God not to screw it up was immense. For his father was David, the great king of Israel, the slayer of Goliath, the liberator of the Philistines, the original raider of the lost ark, the unifier of tribes, the master musician and wordsmith. He's the man after God's own heart. God said so. And so now that David has died, Solomon not only takes his place at the head of his own family, he's now the head of the kingdom as well, ready or not. And it is clear Solomon was not yet ready. But the good thing, the grace thing here is that Solomon knew it. And when confronted with it, He fessed up to it. And that's when God finds his way to him. God finds Solomon in Gibeon, this little town out in the wilderness, and appears to Solomon in a dream and asks, what do you want? And because it's a dream and because no one else will be listening, Solomon is able to unburden his heart before the Lord. Solomon can take off those masks that make him look like he's got it all together 
that he is in the role of the strong man king who will not be pushed around and instead just stand exposed before God, just as he is, a human being, in something way over his head, searching for skills and his true self. In this dream, Solomon can say, I feel like a child, a little kid. My role model for what a king should be, my father, he's gone. I can't trust anyone around me. I'm really overwhelmed by all of the responsibility and the future without clear direction to govern these people. In this moment, Solomon drops all pretension that he has it all together and lets his heart do the talking. In the wisdom traditions of ancient Israel, the heart is what seeks after wisdom and where wisdom resides. Over and over in the prophets, in the Psalms, and in the Proverbs, God says things like, If you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. I will write my law, my wisdom, on your heart, so all will know me. No one will have to say, know the Lord, because everyone will know. And that to fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the Psalms remind us, that were read earlier, that this kind of wisdom can be taught. Fear in this sense is not to be afraid, quaking in your boots, terror, but fear as in revere, respect, to recognize God is not like us and we are not like God. And part of the expression of reverencing this holy, magnanimous other is to seek after God, to have the courage to search, to seek, and to ask. So in Solomon's prayer, we are invited to join in asking for an understanding mind, able to discern between good and evil, which is part of the practice of seeking wisdom instead of just gaining knowledge. Gaining knowledge is easier now than ever with ease. We can Google anything. Google wasn't even a word, let alone a verb, 10 years ago. Knowledge is everywhere, but wisdom, trying to keep up with knowledge, that is the task before us. The point is to understand, not just know. And as the psalmist says, depart from evil and do good. That much we can do with knowledge, by following the rules, by knowing what they are, and just staying in line, staying in the boundary. But the psalmist continues, even more than that, even more than departing from evil and doing good, seek peace and pursue it. Understand what it truly means to depart from the things that stifle the true self and true living. Doing good means pursuing an active life, of making peace. This is what characterizes the life of a person seeking the wisdom of God. 
the realization that seeking understanding is not the same as agreeing. It's simply understanding. Understanding is not the same as agreeing. It's just understanding. And it takes wisdom to know the difference. And that's what all of us need more of. Because we are all going to find ourselves at some point with our toes curled over the edges of places high up or standing toe to toe to someone who seems opposed to us. And it feels like the only option we have left is to pray a prayer for overcoming or enduring. So in these times when it feels like we're just not ready to face the future, when we'd rather keep repairing and polishing those masks we wear instead of laying them aside and living life free from artificial preservatives and colors, emotions, and identities, know that God comes to us, comes to you, with the wisdom of truth that you are God's beloved who lack no good thing. And even if all you can do today is pray to want the desire for wisdom, that is enough. That is enough. For God has equipped you with the skills, the gills, and the everlasting promise of I am with you. Don't be afraid. So may we find the wisdom we need, and we will say, God, be with us. May we hear the needs of those we meet. God, be with us. May we love the life we are given. God, be with us. Amen. Amen.